Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more info at DesertCityChurch.com. If you want to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 13, I'd like to open up with this scripture. You can just read along with me. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. And then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Simple story, parable of Jesus. And I think it's interesting when you think of the details of this story. As I read it, for me, it's something that is both terrifying and in a strange way, comforting. It tells this agrarian story of farming. And as we read, continue to read through this text, we find uh, that Jesus is the one who's sowing the seed. So he plants this seed, this wheat crop. In the middle of the night, an enemy comes. An enemy comes and plants weeds among the wheat. I find it both terrifying and comforting because when we think of uh, what has messed up this crop, an enemy does this. There's this line that kind of has this like haunting echo. An enemy did this. And then we find as we continue to read through this text that that enemy represents uh, this Satan figure in Scripture. An enemy does this. The crop has been infected by these weeds. And it's not the fault of the planter, and it's not the fault of even the wheat. It's the enemy who comes and drops off these weeds in the midst of it. It talks about how these all of a sudden have to grow together, which means that this crop is now infected. This week, uh, we got to the point in our study on Rooted, what we believe and why it matters. We've been talking about kind of these big themes in Christianity. So the first week we talked about who is God. And then we talked about how God speaks to us. And then we talked about where's God in the midst of suffering. The topic this week is this, that there is an enemy in this world. There is an enemy in this world. And I think this parable is also helpful when we understand suffering. Why is there suffering in this world? There is an enemy. 
who has sowed weeds into the wheat. And as we talk about this enemy, uh, there, there's, there's all sorts of like, images that come to mind. We might think about Satan. We might think about the devil. I mean, it, it's something that we don't really take serious or we take maybe overly serious. When I was growing up, uh, I loved reading C.S. Lewis. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, um, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, this great author. Uh, but he also wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters that I wrote, read when I was in high school. The Screwtape Letters is a really interesting uh, story, uh, an allegory, and, and it, he, he writes this story from the perspective of, of demons. And these demons are having this conversation about the world and the way the world works. And as C.S. Lewis approaches this story, he says there's kind of two errors that we fall into considering evil in our world and the devil and what the devil is up to. Uh, C.S. Lewis says this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to, believe, is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. These two errors. One is just believing that there is no enemy, right? This is all fairy tale. There's no personification of evil in this world. He says that's an error. And the second error is to have an excessive uh, and unhealthy interest in them. And so even as I approached this topic and started looking at like, you know, I'm going to write a, a sermon about the devil. It's like I didn't even want to, right? It's as, it, it, and like sometimes we don't like to take it serious. I mean, uh, my, my wife makes this wonderful dessert called The Devil Made Me Do It. <laughs> and it's like, haha, we joke, you know, like Satan tempts us and now I'm overweight, right? <laughs> but then we also, we also see these terrifying images in our world and we're remembered of like the seriousness of evil. Like the last couple of weeks, just some of the scenes coming out of Syria with children who are uh, collateral damage in this war. And you see these images and you're like, yeah, there's something very evil in this world. There's this reminder that this is a very serious thing. And so like we, when we consider this enemy, we kind of sway back and forth between this weird like, yeah, it's just a fairy tale. And, and, and then, oh, there's this reminder that <coughs> this enemy has put weeds in the wheat and it's choking out life in this world. And so today, as I, as I talk about this topic of there, there is an enemy, I want to look at four images in Scripture that we have of this enemy. And there's more images beyond these images, uh, but these are kind of four that I have found in my experience have resonated with me. And so if I miss a few, I'm sorry, uh, but this is what I want to look at, these four. And when we think of the image of the evil one, the devil, um, maybe this comes to mind. We have a picture of uh, Sparky. Yeah. Okay. So, like, we, we have like this idea of like this this you know red devil with like a pitchfork and he's got horns and he's running around um, and, and kind of which is interesting because this image actually isn't found in scripture. But when we all think of the devil, we just think of Sparky, right? Like that's kind of the the image. Um, I, I thought it was really interesting. I don't know if we have any Sun Devil fans here, any, any Phoenicians. We know how we got the image of Sparky. Like, we know where Sparky comes from, right? It's like in the late 40s, early 50s, the Sun Devils, ASU, was, they were actually the Bulldogs. 
And uh, they wanted to be the Bulldogs because they thought that was a sophisticated mascot because Yale had it. Um, but they were like, that's not Phoenix, right? Like, people who live here are like, we're Sun Devils. And so they switched the mascot over to this idea of a Sun Devil. And when they were designing the mascot, they ended up hiring this cartoon artist. And the cartoon artist uh, came from California. And legend has it that he was fired by Disney. He worked for Disney and he was fired by Disney. And when he came over to create this cartoon of Sparky, uh, legend has it that he used uh, Walt Disney's fa facial features. Um, yeah. So, uh, and, and if, you, if you're from Phoenix and you kind of know this like Phoenix, LA thing that you know, after like what happened to the Sun Devils last night, having stuff like this just makes us feel better, right? <laughs> Uh, so yeah, the legend has it. But we have all these images, these different pictures of, of who Satan is and who the devil is. And the first one I want to I look at in Scripture um, is this image that's found in Job chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Job 1. And there's this story that we talked a little bit about a couple weeks ago. But in Job chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the land of Uz there was a, a man whose name was Job. And this man was blameless and upright, and he feared God, and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. And his sons used to take turns holding feasts in their home, and they would invite their uh, three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send them to be purified. So they sound like Ameri good, good American Christians, right? Like, early in the morning, uh, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. So we have this man who's extremely wealthy and who cares for his children. And he's looking out for his children. And what we find is that he's righteous. There's nothing that's, that, that can be found wrong with him. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And it starts this conversation between the Lord and Satan. And another word for Satan that is there is this idea of the accuser. And so this image that we get of, of the devil here in this story that's being told is this, this person, Satan. And if you look at the kind of the Hebrew of, of, of what this word is, this accuser, uh, it's literally pronounced uh, Satan, Satan. For, for the Greeks, it's Satan. And what we find in this story. Satan considers the life of Job, and he considers everything that's been given to Job and says, of course, of course he's loyal to God. Everything that he touches turns to gold. And so it starts this conversation where he says, God, I bet you if you remove all of that from, from Job, I bet you if his fortunes turned and all of a sudden he suffered, he would turn from you. Now this is like this huge theological debate about what's going on here. But I don't want to talk about that. What I want to talk about, though, is the character of Satan is to look at humanity and say, I want to bring calamity here. I want to separate you from your relationship with God, and I want to, to bring destruction upon you. What we find is that Satan is at work in Job's life, and some terrible things happen. And there's all sorts of kind of discussion of why that happens. But the point I'm making is that it happens because Satan is desiring it. When Jesus is talking to his disciples in John 10.10, 10, 
he, he talks about this idea that the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. And Jesus says, but I have come to give you life, life to the full, abundant life. Jesus says this evil figure, this thief, this Satan comes to kill and to steal and destroy. And we find that Satan does that to Job, killing people in his family, stealing his resources, and destroying his life. This image we have of Satan, of Satan, is that there's this force in this world that is at work for our destruction. There is evil, there is great evil in this world that is very intentional about how it approaches our lives. And some of you, if you live in this world long enough, have experienced that. You've experienced just unbelievable like brokenness, things falling, spiraling out of control, relationships getting severed, uh, families getting ripped apart, uh, things at work falling apart, people doing things to you that are so harmful. And you, you know the longer you live, there's this force at work in the world that is trying to kill and steal and destroy your soul. And we get this image in the book of Job of Satan who shows up and tries to do it. Second image we have uh, is found in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, it tells the story of, uh, of this evil one. And what's interesting is that in this story, it never calls him this evil one, never calls him uh, the devil, never calls him uh, even Satan. But I'll start in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, uh, We may eat from the trees in the garden, fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. And the serpent said, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the fruit of the tree that was good for, pleasing, uh, good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, uh, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, uh, who was apparently standing there, you know, acting like nothing was happening. Um, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from God among the trees of the garden. The Lord called to, the, called to them, where are you? And Adam answered, he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I've commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, blames it on the woman. He says, the woman you put here, she gave me the fruit. All of a sudden we have blame in relationships. And then the Lord said to the woman, who has done this to you? And she said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Here in the Garden of Eden, we have shalom, we have peace, we have things are good. The creation is good. And this serpent, this, this figure, this crafty figure enters into the story. And the approach that the serpent takes, and this is what we often find of this evil one in our life, is that often it'll appear uh, promising what is supposed to be good. 
There's this lie that is told about the world. And the evil one uses this lie again and again and again. And the lie is that God is holding out on you. And the lie is that there's, there's other things that you can find in this world that will bring contentment. And if you could only get this thing, then your life will be better. If you could just have this, then, then you'll be complete. And we start to believe this lie. And it's this lie that happens in the garden but continues in our lives every single day. This image of the serpent is an image that tells us lies about God. Tells us lies about God, that God isn't good, that he's holding out on us for something better. And this lie, I think, is a very subtle lie that's all around our culture. We we start pursuing things that we think we'll, we'll find contentment in that's outside of God. And what we find is that over and over, when we believe this lie, it overhypes and it underdelivers. When we pursue these things that we think are going to make us happy, when we pursue these things that we think are going to meet a need in our life, we're left longing, wanting more. It always overhypes and underdelivers. So this image of the serpent is telling us lies about God. And I found that this is something in my own life I constantly have to check. Because I start to listen to this voice in my life uh, that, I'm not, that my life isn't enough, that I'm not complete. Um, and that there's different things in this world that I can pursue that will fulfill me. Like that longing is that we have this longing for God. We try to fill it with all sorts of different things. For me, as I try to pursue things, even in subtle ways, I end up focusing on the things that I don't have and desiring the things that I think will make me happy. And you get to that point where you, you get the thing that you think is going to make you happy and it doesn't deliver. Over and over again, there's this pattern in my life where I see that. Believe this lie about God, about the way the world works. In this image, this is the lie that the serpent uses. Next image is found, 1 Peter, the New Testament. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Here's where we get the term the devil. The devil uh, in Greek is this word uh, diabolos. Um, It means an adversary. And he talks about how Satan's at work as an adversary. Um, And the word that's used for adversary that describes this devil, another Greek term is this antidakos. Um, And the antidakos literally means an opponent in a lawsuit. Um, or like a a lawyer figure that's accusing. So insert like lawyer joke here, right? Um, But it's this, there's this accusation that's being made, this this devil figure uh, in the world. Um, And I I found what what this image of the evil one does is it tells us lies, it tells me lies about myself. If like the serpent tells me lies about how the world works and how God works, uh, this image of the evil one tells me lies about who I am. 
about my own life. And <laughs> no, I totally haven't. Usually it's Siri, so that's like a new voice. <laughs> um, so I start, to believe, I start to believe these different lies about my self-worth. I start to believe uh, different lies about my value. Um, maybe, it, no, what's great is like, it's scripture, so like, we can keep going. <laughs> we'll just keep listening, that's great. Um, and, and what I found is that in, in the evil one's attempt uh, to deceive me is that he, it, it tells me these, these lies about myself that I'm constantly believing. And, uh, and for me, as I start to believe these lies, it's like I regurgitate them. I'm an external processor. So the person that hears them is my wife, Marcy. Right? And so like, I start to believe these lies, which means I'm constantly assuming the worst about myself. I'm constantly assuming the worst about other people. And it's a very divisive lie. It's a very destructive lie when Satan tells us lies about herself. Um, I remember like, going some of the most difficult things that I, I've gone through in my life that really make me like, question like, my calling, my self-worth, my ability. Uh, my mentor will always tell me, don't believe Satan's lies. You're going through a hard time, don't believe Satan's lies about yourself. Because Satan will, will use any kind of uh, lie to make you feel lousy. Um, any kind of lie to, that's destructive in your life. And so we listen to these voices and we want to be in tune with reality of who we are and uh, like our place in the world. Uh, but we have to learn to listen well and to find, is this voice coming from uh, people who love me or care about me or is this voice coming from something else, something darker in my soul? And what voices am I going to believe? Is there this devil that is accusing me of all sorts of things that aren't real. One of the approaches Satan takes is to lie to us and to get us to believe lies about ourselves. These lies are, not only are, not only are they destructive, um, but they rob us of the life uh, that Jesus offers. If Jesus says that this evil one has come to kill and steal and destroy, he uses his lies uh, to corrupt our soul. And when we think about who we are and our value as a human, uh, the truth is that we have eternal value. We have a value that uh, we're, we're so valuable to God. He loves us so much that he dies for us. And in a culture that values something on how much it costs, we have the story of God saying, I love you so much that you cost me my life. You cost me my son. Because I love you so much, I wanted to rescue you from the evil one. I wanted to rescue you from the brokenness. And this is central to the Christian story, that our lives actually are valuable, and God loves us. And all the lies that Satan tells us are simply lies. We have this Savior who says, I have come to give you life, life to the full, life eternal, life abundant, life here and now. And there's an evil one that wants to take that from I'll do anything that I can to rescue you from him. That is what our value is. So we don't believe the lies that Satan tells us about ourselves. We believe the truth that God loves us, that all of us are valuable. And then the final the image that I want to talk about. The final image comes in the Old Testament. 
It comes in this passage in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. And they're describing the evil one, and they use this word, this term called Lucifer. Have you heard that one before? Lucifer is this term to describe this evil one. And what's interesting is Lucifer literally means like this shining light, this brightness. It's something that's like appealing. It's something that is image-driven. It's something that looks good on the outside. And literally, or the, the, the literal meaning is brightness, shiny attraction. The figurative meaning is different, though. The figurative meaning for Lucifer is interesting. It means boastful or prideful, self-glorifying. And when we think about Satan, you know, we think about this dark figure, this mischievous imp that's you know, crawling through the shadows. But oftentimes what it is is this enticing thing. It's the forbidden fruit. It's this thing that uh, we're attracted to, and then it underdelivers. But this figure, this Satan figure, in the midst of his brightness, in the midst of his self-glorification, he's also very prideful. And so we have this image of this prideful Satan throughout Scripture. And there's a lot to be said about pride. To return to C.S. Lewis, um, in his book, Mere Christianity, he talks about this idea of pride. And I want to read this because I think it's describing uh, this great evil where it comes from. It says, Today I come to that part of Christian morals where they differ most sharply from all other morals. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone loathes when he sees it in someone else and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine they are guilty of themselves. I have heard people admit that they are bad-tempered, or that they cannot uh, keep their heads about girls or drink, or even that they are cowards. I do not think I have ever heard anyone who is not a Christian accuse himself of this vice. And at the same time, I have very seldom met anyone who is not a Christian who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There is no fault that makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. And the vice I'm talking about is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. You may remember when I was talking about sexual morality, I warned you, Uh, that the center of Christian morals did not lie there. Well, now we have come to the center. According to the Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is a complete anti-God state of mind. We have this image of the evil one as this prideful figure. And as you kind of hear the story of Satan, what you find is this pride, this ego. When we hear pride, a couple things that it's not. It doesn't mean that we can't be proud of our accomplishments. That's not what this is talking about. It's not, it's not saying we can be proud of our children. What it's talking about is pride is kind of the, the, this idea of the anti-God state of mind, where life is all about me. And C.S. Lewis says that from pride, all, other, all of the other vices are stemmed from this. This is what made the evil one 
the evil one. Pride is a dangerous thing. Pride is a soil that all other evil grows in, our pride. And when we consider these images of, of the devil, these images of this force of evil that is seeking to kill, still, and destroy, uh, this, this image of the devil that is trying to get us to believe all sorts of lies about God in the world, all sorts of lies about ourselves. It stems from pride. It says the Christian response to pride is humility. It's humility before God. As followers of Jesus, we're trying to become more like him. We believe that we're made in the image of God. And we believe uh, that as we uh, follow Jesus, we want to become more like the image of Christ. We're moving towards uh, becoming more like him. These images of Satan draw us away from that image of Christ. First John 3, it says, The Son of Man appeared to destroy the devil's work. To destroy the devil's work. It's this idea of the Christus Victor, that, that Christ has come to release and set free the world from this evil one who brings about destruction. As we consider that we have this enemy that has sown weeds in our wheat, a couple things to reflect on today. The band's going to come back up and we'll move to communion. But when it comes to your life right now, maybe you feel like you're being attacked. Maybe you feel like uh, you're being attacked on all sides. You feel like something's come to kill and steal and destroy you. And you just need to release from that. Maybe today you've, uh, you've been caught up in a lie of something that is over-promising and under-delivering. And that you've, you're in this place where you're, you've taken this forbidden fruit. And you know that it's not healthy for your life. And you know that it's, it's sending you on this downward spiral. And you need help. And you need to get out of it. And you need to identify that it's an attack on your soul. Maybe today you're believing lies about yourself. About your self-worth. About how valuable you are. About your ability. And it's caused the darkness inside of you. It may be today that uh, you're not able to admit to any of those because of this idea of pride. And you want to be the master of your own world and you want to be in charge and it's really stemming from your own ego. I think for me, I land there all the time. And I have to deal with my pride. There's this enemy that has come into our world and he has sown weeds in the wheat. And our hope today is that we would hold each other up in prayer. Whatever it is that you feel attacked, whatever lies that you've been buying into, whatever things that you've been denying out of, out of pride, we come to Christ today and say, destroy the devil's work in my life. Each week we close with the time of communion. For us, communion uh, represents this work that is done in the world. We come to the table and we take bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken on the cross. And we take juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. 
We believe that through the breaking open and the pouring out of the life of Christ, uh, we find healing, restoration, and redemption. And today, as we go to the table, let's consider these things. And maybe today, you actually feel like you're doing okay. You don't feel like you're being attacked. But you know that God is calling you to join this fight against evil in the world. I think what the church does is it's this colony of heaven in this world of death and decay. And we want to invite you into this story to join with God in his work to destroy the devil. That this enemy that has sown weeds uh, would be destroyed. And if you're uh, at this point where you've never just decided to, to jump in and be a part of this battle, I'd love to talk to you about that today, to be a force of good in this world. As we move to communion, feel free to take communion as you're ready to respond. Communion is just set up on this side of the room today. If you'd like prayer for anything, um, I would love to pray with you. You could also write down prayer on your prayer cards, and our prayer team will, will pray for that. But let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, when we think of this topic that's not necessarily a fun topic to talk about, it's something that we want to acknowledge is it does exist. We can't just ignore it. But we also don't want to have an unhealthy obsession with it. So what we ask for today, Lord, is wisdom. Lord, help us to identify the places in our life that are under attack. Help us to have wisdom and discernment when it comes to the lies that we believe. Help us to be humble before you, Lord. And today, as, I, as there's this uh, battle going on where the, the forces of darkness are at work and the souls of people in this room, we ask for your protection, Lord. We, we ask for the freedom that comes in our life with you. We ask for the life that is full and abundant and eternal. So we pray your blessing on us today. Lord, we just pray that you would transform us into your image, away from the image of the evil one. Empower us to be your people, Lord. In your sons, let me pray.